If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood Maniac on the Loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Nine Lives of Ski Mask. This is part five of five. The Nine Lives of Ski Mask. Life Nine, The Perfect Family, Chapter One, The Long Wait. Hello, my friend. Ski Mask stands in the death room facing the light. He can feel it pulsating ever so slightly as it beckons to him. The urge to give in and finally become one with the light grows stronger. Ski Mask knows if he doesn't turn away, the impulse will be insurmountable, and the inevitable will be of this day. Ski Mask closes his eyes and reluctantly turns from the light. When he opens his eyes again, he sees his windows. Currently, the position of his body only allows for him to see the faded tan carpet of the hallway. The very hallway where his previous life ended, from the swift swing of a blade, held by John Bromley. Shameful. John Bromley, a pitiful psycho with daddy issues, whom Ski Mask had toyed with the entire day, much like a cat stringing along a helpless mouse before ultimately taking its life. And the cat was so careless that the mouse became the conqueror. It's all Claire's fault. If he weren't so preoccupied with her, this would have been a breeze. He should have just focused on catching Bromley. It would have been quick and easy. Then he could have shifted his absolute attention to finding Claire. In hindsight, he made a lot of stupid errors and probably deserves this. But if all goes well, he'll have the chance to correct it. In the distance, Ski Mask can hear John Bromley speaking. He doesn't have to see him to know that he is speaking to Melissa's corpse. I now pronounce us man and wife, the perfect couple for a perfect family. Dr. Grimm should be here soon. He can revive Ski Mask, and then this humiliating nightmare will be over. Hurry up, Dr. Grimm! Chapter 2 
father and son. Dr. Grimm takes a gun from his desk drawer and places it in his front pants pocket. He hastily covers the stacked bodies of Dr. Clark and Dr. Lewis with a quilt and locks the door after exiting his office. He takes several breaths and runs both of his hands through his hair, calming himself before entering the corridor. Once in the corridor, he stops, surprised to see a familiar figure standing before him. Father? Alfred walks to him and speaks casually. Hello, Franklin. Listen, I can't talk now. I have something to take care of. I'll, I'll call you later. Franklin quickly runs past his father and begins to turn the corner when he hears a door open behind him. He stops and turns in time to see his father entering his office. Oh, oh shit, don't go in there! Franklin runs in full sprint and enters the secretary's portion of his office just in time to see his father unlocking his office door and beginning to open it. No, 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 no! Franklin scurries to the door and pulls it shut before Alfred can enter. Franklin, what are you doing? What do you want in my office? And why the hell do you still have keys? I never discarded them from my keychain. And to answer your first question, we need to talk. Uh, not now. I have critical business to attend to. Alfred studies Franklin closely. Why don't you want me in your office? Uh, it's not that I don't want you to go in, it's that I'm in a rush. Now, if you don't mind, can we please leave? Franklin attempts to usher Alfred away from the door, but Alfred is having none of it. Where is Dr. Clark? He wasn't in his office. I asked around, no one has seen him. Franklin's eyes begin to dart around the room, and he stammers as he tries to answer the question. I, uh, um, he's, he's, he's not here. Uh, I, I sent him home. That, I, I sent him home. He's, he's gone. It's impossible not to notice Franklin's anxiety. You seem nervous. What's bothering you, son? Oh, well, like I said earlier, I have something important that needs my attention. Whatever needs your attention obviously has you quite stressed. Would you like to discuss it? There isn't any time. I, I, I have to go. Please, can we talk later? Alfred nods slightly. As you wish. Franklin lets out a breath of relief as the two of them begin walking away from the door, but is caught off guard by the sudden move made by his father, who abruptly stops and hurries back to the office door. He opens it before Franklin can stop him. No! No! Alfred stops and his keys fall from his hands as he is frozen by the sight before him. My God, Franklin! Stunned, he steps into the office and makes his way forward toward the heap of bodies. He removes the quilt that was shoddily covering the bodies to reveal the corpses of Dr. Clark and Dr. Lewis. Dear Lord! It's the bolt of the office door latching that shakes Alfred from his temporary stupor. He turns to see his son standing in the office with him, his hand still on the door after having locked it. What have you done? Uh, it's, it's not what it looks like. It's not? Because it looks like you murdered Dr. Clark and Dr. Lewis. Well, I wouldn't put it in those terms. A flabbergasted Alfred cuts his son off. Rather than just retire and hand your job over to Dr. Clark, you killed him? Uh, well, that's not exactly, uh... 
Franklin feels his jaw begin to drop as his brow creases in confusion. How, how, how did you know? Did you really think that imbecile Dr. Clark had the intelligence to pull this off on his own? Franklin tries to speak, but no words come out. It was me, Franklin. I was behind all of it. Releasing Jack Winters through a paperwork error was simple enough. When it was clear you were going to get off the hook on that one, I concocted the plan for a second escape on the same day with Medusa. Surely that would do the trick. I did not realize Ski Mask would be willing to help you get out of that quandary. I hope you appreciate him. I must admit it was much more difficult to administer this latest scheme with Ski Mask running security, but fortunately, he hasn't been here long enough to plug all of the holes in this dam. And I know each and every one of those weak points. Dr. Clark was a simple puppet following my orders, knowing he'd benefit by taking over once you were removed. Even a dimwit like Clark could run this place. It's beneath you. It's beneath a grim. Franklin finally manages a word. Why? You know damn well why. A grim will always be at the helm of the Lifeline Project. It's time to put this childish institution behind you and move on. The first shot caused Alfred confusion more than anything else. He noticed Franklin moving his hand around in his front pants pocket. He assumed he was fidgeting with his keys as the stress of the situation grew within him. When Franklin removed his hand and seemed to point at Alfred, he thought it was just a gesture. He hadn't even noticed the gun until after Franklin had fired it. Franklin! Alfred's words trail off quickly. He isn't sure where the shot hit, perhaps the chest as he feels pressure welling up within. But that's not his focus. His full attention is directed at the cold, stoic expression on his son's face as Franklin pulls the trigger again. Chapter 3 TikTok Ski Mask's view is suddenly altered. Instead of a close-up view of the carpet, he's now staring at the ceiling, and it's moving. He's dragging me. Ski Mask can hear the heavy breathing of John Bromley and recognizes the pictures lining the staircase as he is pulled past them. The sound of his legs thumping against each step echoes through the stairwell as Bromley pulls him down to the main level of the house. As his view starts to level out, he hears Bromley speaking to him. There you go. You can sit right here on the steps and relax while I get the others. Schemas can tell that Bromley has propped him up in a sitting position on one of the bottom steps of the staircase. He can distinctly make out the kitchen to his left, the dining room ahead of him, and a portion of the living room to the right. He hears John Bromley speaking upstairs. Yes, we're going downstairs. 
Schemask isn't sure which corpse Bromley is bringing down, but he can hear him holding a conversation with it as the lifeless legs bounce off of the steps during the descent. Yes, it has been a tiring day, hasn't it? What's that? You're hungry? You'll have to forgive me. With all the commotion of the day, food has slipped my mind. Let me get you into the kitchen. The thudding sound of the body being pulled down the stairs grows louder as Bromley drags the body of Alex past Ski Mask and into the kitchen. Ski Mask can no longer view him as he rounds the corner, but the conversation he's having with the cadaver paints the pitiful picture of what's going on in there. There's plenty of food in the pantry. I'll just leave you here for now. Feel free to help yourself to anything. What a pathetic, psychotic freak. Bromley comes back into view and walks past Ski Mask. Bromley's footsteps grow fainter as he rushes up the stairs and down the hall. Come on, Grim, get your ass here. It isn't long before Ski Mask can hear Bromley returning. The soft push of his footsteps against the carpeted second-floor hallway abruptly transforms into hollow thuds as he moves on to the staircase. As he nears Ski Mask, the sound of his footsteps intensifies, as does his cheerful humming of the song, Here Comes the Bride. Bromley comes into view as he walks past Ski Mask and into the dining room. He is holding Melissa in his arms, bridal style, but stops suddenly. Oh, you're tired? Of course you are. It's been such a long day. Bromley returns and walks back toward the stairs, and then turns into the living room. I'll let you sit in this nice, comfortable chair. You can rest a while while I get dinner started. Bromley returns from the living room and disappears from Ski Mask's sight into the kitchen. Weirdo. As Ski Mask impatiently waits for Dr. Grimm to save the day, he is confused when he hears a loud creaking sound from within the death room. He begins looking around for the source of the strange sound. The awareness of what is happening dawns on him once he feels his balance shift toward the light. Ski Mask looks down at the floor. He's been in limbo too long. The floor has begun the process of tilting toward the light. His time to be renewed is running short. Come on, Grim! Chapter 4 Coming Home This will likely be the death of me. Claire pulls up to the bulkhead doors, gets out of her car, and lets out a deep, nervous breath. She looks out beyond the facade of the weathered shack and ragged fence. She knows what lies beyond. Home. And probably death. She lifts up the doors, punches in the code, and descends into the musty corridor that will lead her to the courtyard. As she makes her way through, she looks around at the damp walls and modern overhead lighting, wondering if this will be the last time she sees them. Probably. Ski Mask intends to kill her. She knows this. She'd be dead already if it weren't for Madeline's heroic stand against her beloved master. Claire's hope is that Ski Mask will give her a chance to explain everything. No secrets. Once that's all out on the table, let the chips fall as they may. Perhaps the loyal years she gave him, the times they've shared together, the feelings, 
Perhaps it will all be enough for him to reconsider the death sentence. Perhaps. She opens the bulkhead door and ascends up the stairs into the courtyard. The sweet scent of a nearby honeysuckle cluster fills the air as she begins walking toward the entrance of the home to face her destiny. Before she even makes it to the midway point of the courtyard, her face lights up with delight at the sight of Dempsey and Floppy racing toward her. She bends down to greet them and they knock her over. She chuckles, having seen the dogs do this to Ski Mask countless times over the years. Ski Mask. If the dogs are out here, he must be too. Before she can rise to look for him, she is pleased to be greeted by the other five dogs. They appear as joyful as she's ever seen them. Hi, guys. She hugs and pets them with vigor. I was afraid I'd never see you again. Her face is now wet from the countless dog licks. For a moment, this is all she knows, and she's at peace, laughing. She looks up when she hears a familiar voice. Claire? Claire lets out a boisterous giggle when she sees the dapper-dressed Tamale Jones looking like he just stepped out of the Great Gatsby. His plaid, three-piece, tweed herringbone suit with matching fedora is accented with both cats, Darkness, and Scarface perched upon his shoulders like parrots to a pirate. Now that's a sight. They obviously have taken to you. And you to them. Far be it from me to turn down some puss. He halts his words. Ah, uh, sorry, Toots. I was going to make a joke pertaining to a dame's anatomy, but I have a hunch it wouldn't hit on all eights with you. Your hunch was correct. Listen, I'm supposed to alert Ski Mask if I see you, but I get the feeling he's none too happy with you, and may be aiming to bump you off. Since I was the one who turned you on to that nutty platinum broad, I feel I owe you one. If I was you, I'd scram. Thanks, Tamale. But I have to see him. Do you know where he is? Nah, he didn't say. I'll try the hospital. Be careful, you hear? Don't take any wooden dimes. Thanks, Tamale. Claire smiles, knowing that if this is the last time she sees Tamale, it will be a good image, him flashing a grin while simultaneously petting both cats as they balance on his shoulders. Chapter 5 Punishment Ski Mask can hear Bromley speaking to him as he is dragged through the dining room into an office. You were mean to me and Melissa today. I can't let that behavior go unpunished. The desk in the room is stained dark and covered with neat stacks of antique books. Bromley drags him past the desk to the corner of the room. Bromley lifts him up and plops him down in a red velvet chair that sits in front of a small television. You will sit in this room and think about what you did. I will, and I'll think about what I'm going to do to you, if Grim ever gets his ass out here. I have to prepare dinner now. It's a special day. Once I feel as though you've been punished enough, you can be part of the perfect family. What a complete nut job. Ski Mask can hear the door close and Bromley's footsteps shuffle away into the distance. At first, he is annoyed that Bromley faced him toward the television as opposed to turning him around so he can see the entire room. But the annoyance quickly subsides when he realizes he can see the entire room in the television screen's reflection, including himself. He sits and stares at his own reflection. 
His eyes are open and lifeless, like a doll. His mouth is agape. His goatee is encrusted with dried blood. Within the death room, the floor creaks as it tilts further toward the light. Ski Mask leans his body forward in an attempt to balance against the incline, but it is becoming too steep and he begins to slide toward the light. He has to grab onto the handrail to stop himself. Where are you, Grim? Chapter 6 Gunshot As Claire approaches the entrance to the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital, she notices a bit of activity at the security guard station. At a glance, she can tell that there are two or three different media outlets waiting in the lobby. She sees a heavily made-up reporter that she recognizes from the local news sitting down looking into a compact mirror while touching up her makeup. The reporter is occasionally chatting to a man sitting next to her who is holding a video camera in his lap. His eyelids appear heavy. They've obviously been waiting for some time. Another reporter, this one more likely of the journalistic variety, is chatting with the security guard while holding a digital tape recorder in front of her. Do you know when Dr. Grimm will be available for comment? No, I don't. The reporter, a woman in her mid-forties, is obviously frustrated as she runs her hand through her wiry hair. Does he even know we're here? We sent the word up, that's all I know. The reporter lets out an aggravated breath. This is ridiculous, I've been waiting here for three hours. Oh, that's your prerogative, but nobody is forcing you to stay here. Perhaps you should come back tomorrow. The journalist begins to lose it. Come back tomorrow? D did you just tell me to come back tomorrow? I am a reporter. I break the news. I don't wait around until the next day to feed on the scraps of a story that has already been reported. Calm down, lady. As the journalist's ire escalates, the man with the video camera stands and readies his equipment. He seems happy to finally see some form of action and begins to film the scene. I want to see Dr. Grimm right now. Get him down here. The guard holds up his hands in a passive manner. You need to relax. Don't you tell me what I need. She looks past the guard and begins to scream. Dr. Grimm, I need to talk to Dr. Grimm. Dr. Grimm, get your ass down here now. The reporter attempts to push by the guard who restrains her. Get your hands off me. Let me go. Several guards run to assist as the wild journalist attempts to fight her way through security. Claire watches on and notices the television reporter eyeing an open area next to the commotion. She motions to her cameraman and darts through the opening, but they don't go unnoticed. One of the guards restraining the journalist yells out for assistance. Somebody stop them! Claire can see another guard running down the hallway toward the television reporter while shouting into his walkie-talkie. There's no way she's getting in through the main entrance, so Claire scurries to the side entrance that they brought Medusa through. She notices a guard on duty at the post and begins going over the best way to approach him. Based on what happened at the main entrance, Dr. Grimm is not easily reached at the moment. Ski Mask likely won't be either if he's even here. As she nears the entrance, she hears the guard's walkie-talkie make a buzzing alert sound, followed by a frantic message requesting for assistance at the main entrance. The guard doesn't hesitate and bolts down the hallway out of sight, leaving his station unmanned. 
Claire casually strolls through the entrance. She can see two nurses talking in the middle of the corridor in front of her. A balding doctor in his 40s exits from the stairwell next to Claire and bumps into her. Oh, excuse me. The doctor holds a goofy expression on his face as he looks Claire up and down. He's about to say something to her but is interrupted by one of the other nurses. Dr. Bloomfield, have you seen Dr. Grimm recently? The balding doctor's focus shifts to the nurses and he walks toward them and speaks. Not since earlier in the day. I can't find Dr. Clark or Dr. Lewis either. Their conversation trails off as the doctor and nurses walk further down the hall. Claire, currently unnoticed by anyone, enters the stairwell. On the night when they dropped off Medusa, they stopped by Dr. Grimm's office for a moment. Claire can remember the floor and the approximate location of his office. As she ascends the staircase, she occasionally sees a guard stationed on the other side of the doors to certain floors. But not all of them, and fortunately, not Dr. Grimm's floor. When she steps onto the floor that houses Dr. Grimm's office, she is slightly taken aback by how deserted the floor feels. Not a soul in sight. If it weren't for the distant sound of the occasional phone ringing, she would think it to be an abandoned floor. Claire's sneakers squeak against the polished tile as she approaches Dr. Grimm's office. She reaches out to turn the knob and jumps when she hears a loud crack of a gunshot, and then another. Claire gasps and takes cover in a nearby room. After a few seconds, she sneaks her head out just enough to gauge the situation. Within a few moments, the door to Dr. Grimm's office opens, and he emerges. He appears stressed as she witnesses him tuck a small gun into his front pants pocket, hurry down the hall, and disappear into a stairwell. Claire quickly reasons as to why Dr. Grimm would fire a gun in his office. Did he shoot someone? And if so, who? Could it be Ski Mask? Worry washes over Claire and she stealthily moves from the cover of the room to Dr. Grimm's office door and opens it. She steps into the secretary section of the office. Everything is quiet there, so she swiftly moves to Dr. Grimm's office. She attempts to open the door, but it's locked. Doggone it! Frustrated, Claire turns. Her mind shuffles between rummaging through the secretary's desk in hopes of finding a key that fits the door, or chasing down Dr. Grimm to find out what happened. Neither option is considered when she spots a set of keys lying on the floor next to the office door. She recognizes the bland bronze-colored keyring. Alfred? She bends down, picks up the keys, and begins trying them in the door. On her third attempt, the door unlocks. She swings the door open and gasps. Claire rushes into the room. She recognizes Dr. Clark as one of the two bodies stacked and chaotically covered by quilts, but it's Alfred Grimm that she is rushing to. He is lifeless on the cold office floor. His eyes are shut and his complexion pale. Alfred! Alfred! She shakes him gently, but there is no sign of life. She places her fingers on his jugular vein. There is no pulse. She slumps. Oh, Alfred. After a second, Claire's eyes spark. She quickly rises, reaches into her backpack, and removes the small, flash drive-like, lifeline device. Claire bends down, lifts Alfred's head up, places the device at the base of his skull, activates it, and waits. Nothing. She rechecks to ensure that the procedure was done properly, and concludes that it was. And he's gone. 
she gently sets his head back down on the floor. You chose the light. Claire is aware that Alfred had always desired Franklin to take interest in the Lifeline project. Claire smiles, knowing that this is a decision he would have never made if he didn't trust that the Lifeline project were in capable hands. Her hands. Thank you for your faith in me. Farewell, my friend. Farewell. Chapter 7 Abandon Hope, All Ye Who Enter Here Ski Mask can hear Dr. Grimm's voice. Ski Mask! Finally, he's here! Ski Mask! The floor of the death room has continued to gradually slant more and more. At this point, it requires both of Ski Mask's hands to grip the rail on the wall to keep from sliding into the light. Come on, Grim, get in here! Ski Mask can hear Dr. Grimm's footsteps echoing as he makes his way through the house. Apparently every room in the house except for this one. Finally, the door to the office creaks open. Ski Mask can see Dr. Grimm emerge in the reflection of the television. He slowly creeps towards Ski Mask. Move it! Get over here! Finally, Dr. Grimm reaches Ski Mask and touches the dead body's shoulder, disrupting the balance just enough for Ski Mask's head to fall back. Ski Mask watches as Dr. Grimm stares down at him. Come on, get on with it! Ski Mask waits impatiently, expecting at any moment to see some type of motion from Dr. Grimm to indicate that he is removing a lifeline device from his person. But instead, he witnesses Dr. Grimm's gaze shoot up at the ceiling in response to the rapid sound of footsteps on the floor above. It's Bromley, you idiot! Revive me so I can pummel him and we can salvage this terrible day! Ski Mask expects Dr. Grimm to panic and start fumbling around in a race to revive him before Bromley can get there. But instead, Ski Mask watches on furiously as Dr. Grimm walks away from him, following the sound of the footsteps above him. Within seconds, Dr. Grimm has exited the room. What in the hell is he thinking? Stop or I'll shoot! Dr. Grimm, what are you doing here? Ski Mask is bubbling with fury as he listens in on Dr. Grimm and Bromley. They are both speaking loud enough where he can make out most of it. Dr. Grimm is trying to subdue Bromley himself. Fool. Not surprisingly, Ski Mask can hear a scuffle ensue. If Bromley gains the upper hand, that's it. It's over. I may as well just let go of the rail. He hears Dr. Grimm shout. Get. Off. Me. The scuffle has stopped. Turn around. It sounds as though somehow, Dr. Grimm has gathered control of the situation. Ski Mask continues to listen on as Dr. Grimm convincingly assures Bromley that if he moves, his brains will be sprayed out all over the hardwood floor. Good. Once he's secured, get in here and let's finish this. I'm your doctor, John. You can't outsmart me. Ski Mask listens on as Dr. Grimm laughs and basically begins congratulating himself as he makes a short speech about doing things yourself if you want them done right. Ski Mask begins to wonder whether or not he'll be able to control his temper once the reckless, overconfident Grimm revives him. 
but those thoughts quickly dissipate as he hears something peculiar. What is that? It's not a confrontation of any kind. It sounds like gagging. Coughing, wheezing, spitting, choking noises emit from the other room. The cacophony of agonizing commotion combined to make one last gaudy gargle before concluding with the loud bang of someone falling to the floor. Silence. What the hell? Chapter 8 Something Strange Claire runs top speed through the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital corridor, her tiny legs a blur. She bursts into the first stairwell she comes to, the same one she saw Franklin Grimm exit into. As she flies down the stairs, she catches the attention of a few hospital employees as she zooms by them. She's far out of sight before any of them can react. Regardless, she doesn't care about that. Her focus is on catching up to Dr. Grimm. What possibly could have driven Franklin to kill his father? Did he kill the other two people in his office? Probably. But why? Does Ski Mask have some role in all of this? At the very least, Dr. Grimm will seek him out to clean up this mess. Ski Mask likely awaits him at his final destination, and while Claire is curious as to her ponderings, her objective is to find Ski Mask. Following Dr. Grimm will likely lead her to him. Claire barrels out of the stairwell. She blows by a security guard, causing him to call out as she dashes out the nearby exit. She ignores him and sprints to the street near the parking lot just in time to see Dr. Grimm's car turning a corner. That's him! Claire drove like a complete maniac for several miles in order to catch up with Dr. Grimm. Once doing so, she calmed herself and maintained a respectable distance behind him. Claire slows and shuts off her headlights as she watches Dr. Grimm come to a stop next to a large white Victorian house. From its appearance, Claire assumes the house holds a charming appearance during the day, but as it is now, with night having swallowed the sky, it holds an ominous presence. She watches on as Dr. Grimm exits his car, rolls up his sleeves, and approaches the house. It's quite obvious from his cautious, unfamiliar approach to the front door that he has never been there before. He appears nervous as he turns the knob and enters the house. Claire exits her vehicle and warily moves closer. She takes cover in the boundary of bushes at the edge of the yard and eyes the house intently. Lights are on in several of the rooms. Most of the curtains appear to be light color. Some of them are chiffon fabric. Perhaps she can get an idea as to the happenings within if any action takes place near one of the windows. Claire doesn't have to wait long to see some movement. In one of the upstairs windows, she occasionally sees the shadow of a burly man roaming back and forth. She's not sure if he is pacing or doing something with more purpose. Eventually, the husky shadow moves to a location further from the windows and all seems calm. Minutes later, another shadow emerges from one of the main level floors. She can distinctly make the shadow out as Dr. Grimm. He is moving with caution, much like he was when he entered the house, and then suddenly, his shadow freezes. She can see his head tilt upward, and at the same time she sees the shadow of the burly man tear past the windows. Dr. Grimm's shadow then darts out of view. 
She is confident that she heard a muffled shout at one time. There was a long period of silence followed by a thud, and again, all is calm. She whispers to herself, What on earth is happening in there? Claire's patience is tested as she looks on for at least ten minutes. No more shadows, no voices, muffled or otherwise. No indication that anyone is even in there anymore. Not a peep. Claire lets out a breath of annoyance as her patience wears thin. What do I do now? After a few moments of deliberating, Claire decides it's time to move forward and get a closer look. As she shifts her body slightly, she is startled by another man wandering down the walkway. Still concealed by the bushes, Claire freezes and observes the man. He's of average height in his forties with dark hair, sideburns, mustache, and a slight beer belly. He's wearing a dark worker's shirt that is completely unbuttoned, revealing his white undershirt. He has the appearance of a mechanic or perhaps a gas station attendant. Claire observes the cautious manner in which the man proceeds to the porch. Once there, he stops and gazes around the neighborhood as if he's hoping not to be spotted. Finally, he slowly enters. As was the case with Dr. Grimm, it's clear this man hasn't been here before. What is this place? Claire waits and monitors the house. She can detect no movement, but within a few minutes, she hears a faint metallic clang, followed by a distant thud, and then calm. She whispers to herself, What in the world? Something is going on in that house. Something strange. Chapter 9 Perfect Family The floor of the death room has slanted to a point where it has become a metallic slide. Ski Mask's double-handed grip on the rail is all that keeps him from the light. The light, his friend, his laughing place awaits him. Why resist? It has only been minutes since hearing the strange gagging sounds followed by the thud of someone falling to the floor. In those few minutes, the house has been relatively quiet, save for some heavy breathing and light creaking of the floor, indicating that someone is still moving around in the other room. If it were Grimm, he'd have likely entered Ski Mask's room by now to revive him. He may have been congratulating himself on a job well done, but he'll need Ski Mask's help to clean up the mess, and time is wasting. Before Ski Mask can try to calculate further what just happened based on sound alone, he hears the creak of a door open followed by the voice of a man that does not sound familiar. What the hell? The next voice he hears is that of John Bromley, confirming that something has happened to Dr. Grimm. Oh, uh, thank God you're here. Uh, quick, untie me. What the hell happened here? Uh, this, this crazy guy just burst in and started killing people. Melissa? Do you know her? She's my wife. Schemas continues to listen. Some of the conversation is muffled, but it sounds as though John Bromley has convinced Melissa's husband to untie him. 
Their chatter thereafter is too soft for him to make out until Melissa's husband finally speaks up. Well, what the hell happened here? Oh, th this lunatic came in here and started killing people. He was going to kill me too until he took a drink out of that glass and died. That confirms it. Dr. Grimm is obviously the so-called lunatic that Bromley is claiming killed his victims. Dr. Grimm is dead. How the hell am I going to get out of this now? I guess I'm not. The fact that Dr. Grimm drank from a glass and died is not lost on Ski Mask. He shuffles through his memory to think of what Dr. Grimm would have drunk. Ski Mask clearly remembers serving Melissa a glass of water earlier in the day, before the festivities. He fixed himself one, too. That sneaky bitch. Ski Mask thinks back to how close he was to taking a drink from that glass. She poisoned my water. No wonder she hung around as long as she did after he had gone well across the boundary of what a normal woman would take. Ski Mask's thoughts are interrupted by a loud, metallic clang. Obviously, John Bromley has claimed another victim. Ski Mask stares ahead at his reflection in the television screen. He can hear objects being moved around in the other room along with various sounds of chairs squeaking and things being dragged about. Bodies, most likely. Ski Mask's hands have gone numb, and his once firm grip on the rail has grown unstable. He feels his hands start to slide, and quickly readjusts his grip, stopping the slide. For now. He knows he won't be able to hang on much longer, and is beginning to wonder why he's even bothering at this point. His thought process is interrupted by the door opening behind him. In the television screen, he can see John Bromley enter the room. He's smiling. I think you've learned your lesson. It's time for you to join the perfect family. Bromley begins dragging Ski Mask into the dining room. Ski Mask is positioned in a way where he can see that the table is decked out quite elegantly, much like a Thanksgiving dinner. Turkey, dressing, various vegetables, rolls, and a bottle of wine adorn the table. In the chairs around the table, the morbid guests await. Ski Mask is placed between the dead bodies of Dr. Grimm and the masturbating homeowner, Alex. Across the table, he can see the slumped bodies of Melissa and her husband. If the name label on his work shirt is accurate, his name is Ryan. Out of the corner of his eye, Ski Mask can see John Bromley enter the room holding a cake. Thank you, everyone, for being present during the happiest day of my life. For it is today that I have finally realized my lifelong dream. And I couldn't have done it without all of you. The perfect family. This is an embarrassing way to go, but it is what it is. Time to move on. Time to let go. Time to embrace the light. Ski Mask is about to release his grip from the rail and plunge into the light when the unmistakable squeaky voice makes him reconsider. Hello? Chapter 10 Jezebel Nothing 
No sound, no movement. After hearing a metallic clang followed by a thud, everything had been still for quite some time. Until now. The shadow of the burly man crosses past a window. It's the same window on the main floor that she recognized Dr. Grimm in earlier. The burly man seems to pick something, or someone, up, and then walks back out of sight. Claire's brow crinkles in confusion as she wonders what is going on within this mysterious house. She waits, but after another long stretch of time with no activity, Claire's patience officially depletes and she steps out of the bushes. She approaches the walkway with caution and realizes that she likely has the appearance of Dr. Grimm and the unfamiliar man as they approach the house before her. Once on the porch of the house, she approaches the door, stops, and listens. Nothing. She presses her ear against the door. Nothing. Claire takes in a nervous breath, turns the doorknob, and gently pushes the door open. The front room of the house appears undisturbed. The fancy decor is proper for this house, but the dim lighting in the room coupled with the shadow of night gives it an eerie feeling. Claire steps in and slowly shuts the door behind her. Ahead, she can see a staircase. Past that appears to be a kitchen area. She stands still and listens attently and hears the creak of weight shifting in a room ahead. Hello? There is a long moment of silence and Claire cautiously begins to advance further into the house, but startles to a stop when a burly man with white hair steps out of the room across from the staircase. He seems cheerful as he speaks. Well, hello. Welcome to my home. Please come in and meet my family. The man steps back and motions to the room from which he came. Claire carefully progresses forward toward the smiling man. He is beaming with pride as he presents whatever lies within the room. Claire cranes her neck as she reaches the room and then freezes in terror. Blood runs from her face as she sees the ghastly sight of corpses positioned around the dining room table. She gasps as she recognizes Franklin Grimm, and she lets out a scream when she sees Ski Mask positioned next to him. Ski Mask! She bolts to Ski Mask's side and looks into his dead eyes as Bromley enters the room behind her. Aren't they perfect? The perfect family. Claire looks up at John Bromley, whose jovial appearance has quickly transformed into one of befuddlement. What's that, Melissa? Claire notices that Bromley's eyes are focused past her. She follows his gaze to the dead woman at the other side of the table, and then back at Bromley. She listens to his one-sided conversation with the corpse. No, Melissa. I don't know who she is. Bromley's eyes shift down to Claire and cloud with confusion as he looks back at Melissa's corpse. My mistress? No, Melissa. She's not my mistress. I would never betray you. Concern wells within Claire. The large man is blocking the room's entrance. Getting around him into the front door will likely be a daunting task. As she tries to concoct a plan to get out of the house, Claire notices a rage beginning to swirl within the husky man's eyes as his gaze locks onto her. I know who you are. You're a Jezebel. You have come here to seduce me. 
You want to ruin my perfect family. Bromley darts forward. Claire attempts to escape his grasp, but he's too fast as he clutches her by the arms and hurls her out of the room like a rag doll. Claire lets out a cry of pain as her back lands against the lower steps of the staircase. She shifts her weight forward and begins to crawl rapidly toward the front door, but Bromley grabs her by the hair, pulls her back to him, and throws her again, this time into the main room. Claire lands on the end table. It shatters, but not from her light weight, but rather from the force of the throw. Shards of wood scrape against Claire's forehead, causing a stream of blood to flow down the side of her face. You're a home wrecker. You want to destroy my family. I will never let that happen. Never! Determination washes over John Bromley's face as he advances on Claire and scowls as he bends down and reaches for her throat. Claire regains her composure enough to cock her leg back and thrust it forward with all of her might into his knee. The force of the blow doesn't have much effect on the massive Bromley, but it slows him down just enough for Claire to scramble away from him and get close to the front door. Jezebel! Lying on her back, Claire watches on as John Bromley rushes toward her with his gargantuan hands outstretched. If he gets them around her petite throat, he'll snap her neck like a dead twig. You will not destroy my perfect family. Claire cannot escape. This much is clear. Bromley is upon her. The end is near. The only thing she could do is reach up and turn the doorknob. The door bursts open and John Bromley rises in shock as the gigantic St. Bernard bursts through the door and launches herself into him. He falls backward and grabs hold of her furry head with his hands to keep her off, but she has already latched her enormous jaws around his throat and is shaking him vigorously. A symphony of barks and howls echo throughout the house as the other six dogs barrel past Claire and assist Madeline. Slick and Trip grip onto Bromley's wrists as Dempsey and Floppy attack his legs. Max stops short of the fracas and barks on in support as Snowman cuddles up against Claire. Bromley attempts to kick and fight, but the frenzied attack of the dogs is far too much. A blur of snapping jaws tears chunks of his flesh from his arms and legs. His boisterous screams of pain are silenced as Madeline shakes her huge head, ripping John Bromley's throat out. Chapter 11 Moonlight Claire, what is she doing here? Ski Mask tightens his grip on the handrail. He wants to hang on long enough to understand what is happening. Ski Mask! She runs to Ski Mask's side and looks into his eyes. She is clearly distraught at the sight of his dead body. But why? If she was in cahoots with Platinum, why should she care? Alfred Grimm had made a point to suggest that he didn't think Claire was teamed up with Platinum, but Ski Mask was in too much of a furious mode to accept that. Perhaps Alfred was right. From the caring expression on Claire's face, it is him that she came here for. And she must have gone to great lengths to find him. Is it possible all wasn't as it seemed? At this point, it doesn't appear to matter. 
John Bromley is becoming enraged and means to harm Claire. To kill her. Poor Claire doesn't stand a chance. Ski Mask tightens his grip on the handrail and begins pulling himself closer to the eyes of the death room. He cries out when Bromley tosses Claire across the room like a child's toy. But within the death room, Ski Mask is the only one who can hear his own anguish. They are out of his sight now, and at this point, Ski Mask just hopes that Bromley doesn't make Claire suffer. Doesn't make Claire suffer? He had thought of nothing else the past several days, but now realizes that that is not what he wants. Not at John Bromley's hands. Not at his hands. If only he could be revived this one last time, he'd rectify the situation by ripping John Bromley's throat out. His thoughts of despair turn to hope when he hears the unmistakable bark. <coughs> Madeline. And she isn't alone. He can hear the entire pack of dogs going to work on John Bromley. Ski Mask doesn't need to see what is happening. John Bromley's pain-wrenching screams paint that picture quite beautifully. After John Bromley's screaming stops, the sound of the ravaging dogs dissipates, and the clicking of their paws on the floor grows closer until Ski Mask can see Madeline enter the dining room. She stops and cocks her head at the grisly sight of her dead master. After a few seconds, she advances towards Ski Mask, jumps up on him, and proceeds to lick him energetically. Come here, Madeline. Madeline gives Ski Mask one last lick, and then retreats behind Claire. Claire. She stands at the entrance of the dining room with all seven dogs behind her. Ski Mask's hands have gone numb. He should be sliding toward the light, but he's not. Every ounce of energy he has left is going toward maintaining his grip. There's no way he's letting go until he hears what Claire has to say. Claire steps up to Ski Mask's body. She takes his face into her hands, stares into his lifeless eyes, and speaks to him sincerely. I hired Platinum to follow you because I wanted to know what you did. It was stupid. The reason I wanted to know what you did wasn't just dumb curiosity. It was also because I was starting to worry about you. I care about you. I should have just asked you, but I didn't. Instead, I made a mistake that almost cost all of us everything. I'll regret that for the rest of my life, no matter how long or short it is. I had no idea she was crazy. I tried to stop her from killing you, but I was too late. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I would never do anything like that again. You can trust me. You can fully trust me with anything, with everything. I promise. I promise you that I am the person you thought I was. Claire removes a revival device from her pocket and holds it up. I'm going to revive you now. You can kill me if you want to, but I want you to know one thing before you do. A tear runs down her cheek before she says her next words. I love you. Claire activates the device and places it at the base of Ski Mask's skull. She watches as his dead eyes gradually fill with life. Ski Mask emits a gasp as his lungs fill with oxygen and he lets out a hacking cough. 
Finally, his breathing becomes steady. He stares intensely at Claire. Her heart rate accelerates and her breath becomes choppy as she awaits her fate. Finally, Schemask blinks and then reaches his hand out and wipes the tears and blood from her cheek. You brought the dogs. Claire smiles. Honestly, I thought if I had them with me, you'd be less likely to kill me. Schemask grins and then gingerly stands from the chair. The dogs surround him. Their tails blur with wagging action as Schemask bends down and begins hugging and petting them. As Schemask reunites with his dogs, he watches as Claire moves to Franklin Grimm and places the revival device to the base of his skull. She waits a good amount of time before looking at Schemask and shaking her head. Schemask nods with understanding. I can't say I'm surprised. He killed Alfred. Schemask lets out a disappointed breath. That's too bad. Alfred was one of the few people in this world I liked. Schemask stands and walks to the living room. He pauses briefly to look at John Bromley's mangled body, which is unrecognizable. He then walks through the front door, onto the porch, sits down, and stares out at the moonlit sky. Claire steps out and sits next to him. She takes his hand into hers and gives it a light squeeze. She caresses it with her thumb and looks up at him lovingly. Schemask looks at her hauntingly beautiful eyes and the moonlight reflecting off of her raven hair. Her pale complexion amplifies the rest of her features, which are perfect. She's perfect in every way. Claire's face cracks into a giant smile when she feels Schemask's hand gently squeeze hers back. She leans over and lays her head on his shoulder as they both look out into the night. Schemask? Yeah? Don't you think it's weird that everyone calls you Schemask? Schemask shrugs. Not really. It's just a nickname. Claire is quiet for a bit and then speaks. I like it. They stare off into the moonlit night for a few more moments with all seven dogs nuzzled up against them. Finally, Schemask turns, looks into Claire's eyes, and he smiles. Let's go home. The End We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Soon.